So General Catalyst was not an idea to build a venture fund. General Catalyst was a way for Joe and I to build a really good mentorship program for founders and enjoy working with really smart young people. So that's how it all started. David, let's jump in. You bet. David, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's an honor. Absolutely. I'm so excited to dive in. I've had the pleasure of, of getting to know you over the past couple of years, and I'm, I'm truly excited uh, to share some of the mentorship and insights and, and, and things that you've shared with me throughout my journey with the folks that listen. So David, if you don't mind, let's just start at the top. You were a builder way before you were an investor. I'd love for people to just get a better understanding of your operating background and, and maybe some of the things that you learned along that path before you started General Catalyst. So I have been in business blissfully with my partner, Joel, forever. We grew up together. We went to high school together. We went to grad school together. We both did uh, stints with other people. I was a, a driver, I mean, meaning like a physical driver for a fantastic business guy named Tom Lee. And then he allowed me to go from being his driver to work in his investment company, Thomas Lee, which was a great place to get trained. And then Joel and I started in our basements, a, a travel business that Joel came up with the idea called Last Minute Travel Vacation Outlet. And we grew it from zero to several hundred million dollars in revenue, big thousand employees, lots of fun. And it was just a wonderful experience for me and Joel, because it was the first time that we had ever run a business, which was great, but we also built a big platform. And that platform allowed us to do four things that would become our mission and vision in our lives. Number one, build a great business that provided people extraordinary opportunities, which we loved because we were young and we wanted young people to really thrive and prosper. The second thing is we use it as a philanthropic platform. We became very active in certain philanthropies in the cities and states that we were operating in. And we were able to empower people to not only work, but also realize the value of, of doing well by doing good. The third thing is a lot of some mentor people. So many of the people that we worked with go on to do fabulous things, many of whom have really done incredible things after leaving us. And then the fourth thing, which would lead us to General Catalyst, other businesses. We had friends that were starting businesses in Boston. Money wasn't plentiful in the venture business. It wasn't like it is today. So we would have people move in. We would actually hatch a bunch of companies within National Leisure, our travel business. And then when we sold the businesses in 2000, we sold the duty-free business and we sold the travel business. The only thing that was really left, Brian, was this little hatchery that we took as the germination. And at the time, as the story goes, I really want to make a donation to Children's Hospital. I want to give something back. And we we're a little money short. And I ran in one night, a couple of hedge fund people who had given me kind of grief about kind of getting a little bit out of shape. And so I bet them a million bucks that I could do the Hawaiian Ironman, provided they gave the money to, to me and the Crohn's and Colitis Initiative at Children's Hospital. And when we, when Joel and I and a bunch of our friends went to Hawaii, me to do the Ironman, them to uh, have fun and support me, Joel and I had this fabulous conversation afterwards. And we decided that we were not really A entrepreneurs. We kind of had a lot to mm -hmm. learn. And the idea came up with, if we wanted to be around great entrepreneurs, maybe we should um, start a venture fund and really, really focus on helping founders in their journey of building businesses. Yeah. So General Catalyst was not an idea to build a venture fund. 
General Callis was a way for Joe and I to build a really good mentorship program for founders and enjoy working with really smart young people. So that's how it all started. Talk, talk a little bit about some of the failures that you've, you've you know, personally experienced or seen with some of the founders that you've spent time with. You know, if you, if you could put together a list of best practices for someone that's failing or about to fail, what are some of the things that you think help push them through that and get them to that next level of execution or success? I would say there's a few things. The one lesson that Joe and I learned when we were building our own business is by the time it becomes a problem, it's too late. We had terrible financial controls on our business. It was a big business, lots of cash flowing through it. And we made tremendous errors that cost us nearly going bankrupt several times. So one was we never invested in the infrastructure systems that would allow us to scale. Today, when we're building both our own firm and helping founders with their businesses, we're all over that. If a company really wants to scale or is capable of scaling, we think about how that's going to go down and what are the moves that we have to make, the hiring, the infrastructure, the professionals that can help you, you know, in terms of building out your platform. So one mistake, which is only a mistake once you have the capacity to scale, is you've got to understand that the business that you're in may require investments in people and infrastructure that are not intuitive to first-time founders. The biggest things that we've learned are, number one, really understand that you're about to take a journey. And if you're doing it with somebody else, make sure they're completely tied to the same journey you're on. If either one of you, as co-founders or three founders, whatever it is, has a different opinion on, A, what we're going to do, B, how we're going to do it, C, what the responsibilities are between us, and D, we have the fortitude that when things go bad, which they will, we're going to stay together and work through it then you're destined to fail. So I'm a big believer in getting that stuff really, really focused on and ironed out at the beginning. Begin the journey completely aligned with what you want to do. That's one. The second is recruiting, hiring really good people at the beginning. You want to be open-minded to talent wherever and whenever you can get it. The third thing is you, you must understand that all businesses pivot. Every film I've ever made pivots. Every company that we've ever been in has some sort of a pivot. And that is not a sign of failure. That's a sign of, of being agile and creative and dynamic. And most importantly, having the fortitude to work through things. Because not everything is a straight line and linear, as we know, Brian. So when you know bad stuff happens or when roadblocks happen or products don't work as well, or a client is get lost, you gotta say, no problem. This is just part of the journey. Suck it up and keep going. Don't take everything as the most important thing in the world because everything that comes has gotta be prioritized. But when it comes to pivoting or being recre- recreating the business, it's fine. Just have the fortitude to do it. Amazing. I wanna, I wanna spend a little bit of time on GCDNA, which is this idea of incubating companies, incubating funds, incubating people in general. I think that's one of the, the secret sauces of GC that maybe not everybody knows about. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your role in incubating people, maybe some of the mentors that helped incubate you and, and just sort of how you've used the GC platform to help people launch into the things that they want to build in their life? When we started the business, we always felt that we shouldn't be reliant upon deals coming to us. We should create our own deal flow. Mm-hmm. Part of that is through the two things you talked about. One, finding great people 
and then figuring out, well, it's a great person. Let's figure out something great to do, but kind of control our destiny because we have good people and good people will lead you to do good things. Second part of that is oftentimes it makes sense for us to be and partner with others to be the creator. Now, these are never companies that are our ideas only. They're certainly not companies that we ourselves run. We do this in a collaborative effort, again, beginning a journey with founders, that sometimes it's our idea, sometimes it's their idea, but the, what you would call an incubation, we would call a hatch. And what we're trying to do is just organize the business right at the outset in a high quality way with the right leadership team, the right capital structure, the right access to capital, the ability to control the destiny that we're gonna be in this business for a long time, Overnight successes take five to 10 years, as we know, and understand that we're going out on this journey. And along the way, there may be changes in what we do, but we're going for it. Now, we will not do this through seeding a company, meaning we're not going to throw a small amount of money. And if we decide we want to go do this, Brian, we're heads down, build a leadership team with us, fund the business and go for it. You know, a good example of this is a business we started in 2016 called Livongo Health. Mm -hmm. And Livongo um, became a very successful hatch of ours. What we got to was a business that at the beginning, we found ourselves in a diabetes business that was good, but it, it wasn't going to hit the market the way we wanted to. And we pivoted it really well. It blended as a leader toward a subscription business and also toward telemedicine. So what ended, started out as a hatch ended up being you know, a very, very successful business where we had, you know, low capital in the in the in the deal high ownership but yeah. we also were able to really work through how that company got started and built with a great leader in glenn Tolman. yeah it's such an such an incredible story and there's so many more that that we could go into for hours some of the folks that have have spun out of gc and, and gone on to do incredible things let's talk about some of the folks that are currently at gc one of my favorite parts of the firm is what you've been doing with black executives and, and black leaders who are, are very close as, as mentors for me. I'll point to Ken Chenault, I'll point to Jim Cash. You know, can you talk a little bit about what those folks are building, what they've brought to the firm that you didn't have before and, and sort of how you look to them as you, as you start to shape GC for the next decade? How lucky are we that you can get world-class talent that also gives you diversity, both Absolutely. from a geographic point of view, a yeah, real diversity point of view from you know, diverse in terms of ethnicity, uh, but also gender. So what we try to always do is be inclusive. Different opinions, different views, different backgrounds create the, the fabric of a great firm, a great leadership team, a great ability to, to, to really be flexible to what our constituent needs. And our constituents are our entrepreneurs. And then second is our, our leadership team, you know, the people who work at GC. And it's top to bottom. If those two come together, then our LPs, our investors are, are very, very well rewarded. So I'll start with Ken Chenault. Ken Chenault had been a friend of ours, really, you know, a, a mentor since before we started General Catalyst. We got to know Ken when we started a credit card business back in 1998, 1999. Wow. And he was a great mentor to us and vice versa. When Ken was going through difficult times, September 11, 2008, yeah. other times, you know, he was leaning on us the same way we, we would lean on him. I think we probably leaned on him more than he leaned on us. When Ken was winding down his leadership role at American Express as their chairman and CEO, 
we felt that our relationship with Ken that was born out of a huge amount of trust, a great understanding of, of our leadership team and, and, and our vision, and an alignment with how Ken about what lay ahead for him in particular, coming together on this idea of responsible innovation. And responsible innovation is a better and more clear way to say doing well and doing good, focusing on all the right issues in terms of how you lead people, how you create opportunities for people internally, externally, the deals you do, the deals you don't do, having a really clear vision, Brian, on what is a GC deal and what isn't. And part of being a GC deal is not only the return and the quality of the founder, but also is this a business that we're going to feel really good about being part of? Are we going to be proud every day that we're building a company with this team, with those products? And that vision around responsible innovation Ken really brought with him to, to GC, and it's now a cornerstone of how we invest. So not only was he a great leader, but a great mentor, but he brought us a real tight mission on how we should uh, grow our company and, and build it. That's amazing. I want to I want to give a little bit of advice to some of the folks that I know listen to the podcast. You know, we have a good collection of young professionals. I'd, I'd call it kind of twenty to thirty year olds that are innovating. So founders, fund managers, people that are focused on technology. You know, let's say you're still idea stage. You're in you're in PowerPoint phase, or maybe you have you have a product running. It's got a little bit of traction. You know, what are some of the things that you get excited to see from the GC seat? You know, is is it the team that that person builds? Is it the technical know-how? Is it the market that they're going after? What, what are some of the things at the very early stage that help you get excited? And, and how can founders think about, you know, positioning themselves if they are at that stage? I'll give you four things. And I apologize that I always talk in one, two, three, fours. But when you're an <laughs> ADD person, it's how you get through life. All right. I love it. So number one, most founders are, pro- are, are product founders. They love their product. Mm-hmm. They love their product so much. They can't believe that everybody in the world can't love it too. And you need that kind of fortitude to, to move the needle forward. However, the second thing you want is somebody who is going to listen to others, not only us, but others, not because we want them to listen and do what we tell them to do. That's not the game. We want them to do what they want to do, but they're open-minded to different ideas and different visions on how to accomplish things, which create a much better business and a better leadership team. The third is somebody who knows how to sell. Mm. And this isn't something that a lot of people would add to the list, but let me explain why. To recruit a team, to get a customer, uh, to raise money, to, to work through issues, you have to have people as leaders and founders who can get other people fired up about what they're doing, or else they'll never be able to recruit an A team. They'll never be able to get that first customer. They'll never be able to raise capital from good partners. So you've got to have someone that really loves their product, loves their company, and can get that infectious enthusiasm to others who also want to play in the sandbox with them. Those are the things we look for. And you can add four or five other things, you know, but you know, if they have a clear vision about responsible innovation, if they believe in treating people the way we want to do it, and then they have the, the curiosity and the creativity to go with those other three things. Can they sell? Do they love their product? And will they listen and adjust uh, midstream? Those are the things that make great founders. Almost universally, virtually every founder that's been successful has most of those as traits that take them forward. Yeah, that's great. 
And I, I personally don't believe that founders should build this way. I think, I think you should build where you technically have expertise or a pain point or some experience in a market. But, you know, if you were to think about the next five to 10 years of founders, what are some of the markets, or, or maybe you can point to one in particular, a market that's overlooked where some people should consider building or, or certainly where you're spending time searching right now? Well, one area that's obvious is, is healthcare. And the reason is none of the cool kids wanted to work in healthcare three, four, five years ago <laughs> for good reason. You know, it looked like the government was cumbersome and loaded with regulations. They are. Number two, selling it to big clients who are glacial, like universities or hospitals or payers or big yeah. companies, seemed like an uphill battle. What's changed is we all realize that the system is completely broken. And the only way to, to, to fix it is we need creative, dynamic solutions. We, we, hmm. Here's a good example. We, we backed right before COVID a company called Olive. But part of it is because of all the issues that I just brought up about love your product, be creative, treat people well, have a, a vision around responsible innovation. Olive is now really an RPA business, you know, robotic process automation. And that has allowed it to just build a massive customer base because what they're doing is so valuable to hospitals and payers that it almost becomes a de facto standard. Mm. So that is really, although it's a healthcare company, it's really a software business. And what we're seeing, Brian, is the crossover now between the companies that are deeply technical and the companies that are providing solutions that are extraordinary in the healthcare area. So everything from telemedicine, to you know, using technology to create the next generation pharma companies. You know, we have a company in Boston called Path AI, which is digi digitizing yeah, pathology company. Uh, slides and using them for drug discovery. I mean, this yep. is like an amazing example of where healthcare and science meets you know, technology. And these are the businesses that will transform the quality of healthcare, which is not, is not bad. It's just that it's too cumbersome. There's too many layers of, of, of just, you know, complete numbness of time wasted and dollars and process that keep us away from getting the right people, the right kind of healthcare. Mm -hmm. So that's one main area. Obviously, the second area is fintech. Yep. We're seeing great transformations in areas of digital finance, the democratization uh, of how people can make investments, how pro a payment processing is going to be done in the future. So, um, Fintech, and leaving aside crypto and blockchain as, as other areas, we're seeing a massive, so we, in, the, in the last five years, and certainly in the next five to 10 years, those two areas, healthcare and the fintech, are going to be just completely rebuilt and transformed. The third area, which is wide open, because there's not been a lot done, is, is around the environment and climate change. Mm -hmm. This is becoming an area that we just are forced to use a focused approach to finding out what the next generation solutions are. For a long time, Brian, nobody made money in what we would think of as you know, the energy space. The reality is now is the time where a lot of this is coming both in the form of batteries and transmissions, you know, how we're using different types of, of, of ways to power our world is just absolutely extraordinary. So these are exciting times in, in, in those three areas. Leave aside all the other areas, um, uh, that have been big for a while. Yeah, those are great. And I know, I know the team at GC is certainly actively watching all three of those plus, plus a bunch of others. I get excited just seeing the portfolio yeah. grow. It's, it's, it's really cool.
David, I want to switch to your advice for fund managers. I know you also spend time on, on that side of the house with people that are either building funds or have built funds. I know you also are pretty actively a part of the fundraising journey at, at GC. You know, what are some of the things that you've learned about building a firm as opposed to just building a fund? I, I think there's a lot of GPs that you spend time with on fund one, but you know, what are some of the things that are more important as you start to think about fund three, fund six, fund nine? that maybe GPs should start thinking about in their earlier? Really good question. I, I couple thoughts there. One would be, are you, this is a really hard choice to make. Are you building a firm that will last a few funds? Or are you building a firm that's going to be durable and last for a long time? It's a very big difference. You would invest incredibly differently in people, in systems, in relationships, in your brands, what it stands for, if the duration is what you're doing. And a big part of that is, you know, even for folks like us, we early on identified what the leadership team is in the future. And those are the, the, the handful of people that are day-to-day -day running General Catalyst today. So Joel and I knew as founders, in order to scale, we were going to have to have a leadership team that was young and smart, well-trained, and deeply understood the GC culture. So we couldn't do a bunch of bolt-ons. We had to home grow a lot of our own people. In my mind, if you make the choice, you wanna be a durable firm, you gotta provide your next generation the training and mentorship so that when their day comes, you're, they're in position to lead. Mm -hmm. And that can't be serendipitous. That has to be planned. And also, it, it, you know, in, in our case, which I'm very proud of for Joel and for me, we knew early on that the best thing we could do is allow that leadership team to take lots of responsibility earlier in their professional cycle than normal firms allow. But it was, we're a venture firm. We bet on young people. So how can it be that we don't bet on our own young people, right? It sounds crazy, but venture firms, a lot of them are very poorly run, including there's been parts of our time that we've been poorly run because we didn't focus on what we're doing, which is developing leadership teams to help founders realize their journeys or goals. So I would take that piece as important. You know, if, if you want to be a one-shot one firm, you want to last as long as you and your co-founder or whatever do, you, shame on you, one respect, <laughs> why would you do that? But another respect that if you really want to build a durable firm, invest in it up front. Yeah. The second point is pick uh, investors who can be long-term with you. We've had virtually the same group of investors for most of our time, but you know, most of the investors who have been with us, you know, maybe they wrote smaller checks in the old days, but they, they all came up with us. And, and I'll tell you why that really helps Brian. We don't have to re-educate them at who GC is. We don't have to right. do a lot of, you know, you know, long diligence when we're fundraising. They know who we are. We yeah. talk to them all the time. They know what our portfolio is. They know our team. They know our leadership team. They know what we're trying to do. So I think having really good transparency with both your leadership team and your LPs allows you to have these kind of relationships that prosper on the LP side. The third thing is you've got to make some seriously strategic decisions. And I would just kind of divide those decisions in four areas. One is stage. GC is a multi-stage firm. We do seed, $100,000 checks. We do $100 million. The second is sectors. We cover several sectors and there are several sectors we don't cover. Those are decisions that a manager should make. 
The third is on geography. We were in Boston for our first eight years, and we found we just couldn't win out of Boston. We had to open a San Francisco office. It was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, I can't believe we're doing this. And now, virtually, you know, that's one of the greatest things that we could have done. Mm-hmm. So you got to decide on, you know, sectors, stage, and then geography. And then the fourth thing is what I said, how do you want to build a firm around legacy and, and mentorship and providing opportunities for your best people? And then the last point is you need a true north. How important is for us, responsible innovation, it, it's sacrosanct. For other firms, not so much. I love it. David, this has been awesome. I've, I've got one quick game for you and then and then one final question to wrap. Two quick sure. true or false questions for you. I'd love to get your your true or false take and then and then a little bit of, of perspective on on your why. So the first one, true or false, the most innovative company of your lifetime hasn't been built yet. I got to say yes. Although there's some pretty good ones that we've done. I'd like to think it hasn't been built yet. Yes, I, I think that's correct. Okay. Only time will tell. But it also keeps me from telling you what I think the most innovative company is in our portfolio. <laughs> so yes, it's in the future. But I do believe that. I love it. Second one, true or false? The best companies in the world are still being built in San Francisco. False. I don't know where they are, but there's a high likelihood that they're being built somewhere that could potentially be outside the United States. You know, I, I think good. Also, if you looked at, we obviously, if we were thinking about innovation, is the most innovative pharmaceutical company being built in the United States? There's a good chance of that. Is mm-hmm. the most innovative software company? Maybe, maybe not. Is the most innovative fintech company? Probably not. So I would, you know, because the drivers are different. So I'm a believer that we have built a global business in the world. I don't mean GC, but just technology and investing in building companies. And it's a joyful time because the democratization of allowing people access to build businesses virtually anywhere is amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend, I have a fabulous person I want you to interview, you know, named Nora Swid and Nora's building up in the Emirates. And the things she's, are unbelievably creative. And you'd say like, wow, is that a difficult place to build? No, because the entrepreneurs are so inspired and motivated. And the ideas are so relevant because they're not just ideas. They're things that they need to, mm-hmm. to, to make the kind of life that they lead in healthcare and fintech and transportation and communications, you know, quality of life so extraordinary. So my bet is most of the best companies in the world will be built in a variety of places. I hope a lot of them will be built in the United States. I'm sure they will but there'll be a lot built in other places and we don't even know where they are. So I'm, I, this is why it's such an exciting time. Why yeah. we're so inspired is to realize ahead. Yeah. I love that. Last one for you, David. Um, average age. I, I did a little bit of homework on the podcast is 25.4 years old. If you could tell your 25.4 year old self, one thing, what would it be? Go for it. Live a purposeful life that includes the best people that you know, that create energy and happiness and integrity and trust with and for you and understand that with power, Brian comes responsibility. And Hmm. all of us that have been given this tremendous opportunity to play in the game that we play have to understand that we're doing it with an obligation to serve. 
David Fialco, General Catalyst, thanks so much for joining me as always. Thank you. It was a, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, David. That's it for this episode of The Road Untraveled. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you're interested in learning more, please check us out at theroaduntraveled.io. You can follow me on Twitter at bhalls1, and you can follow The Road Untraveled on Twitter at VC Perspectives. My one ask to you is to share this with someone that you think might enjoy the episode or any of the episodes that we've had. We've really enjoyed building this community and hope to continue building going forward. Hope to see you at the next episode. Thanks for listening.